Good morning, everyone. This is Barry Knapp from Ironsides Macroeconomics. It's 7 a.m. Mountain Time on um, Monday morning, May 15th. Um, we had a very dense report this week. I will not be able to do it justice in a uh, in a brief summary of it, but I'll I'll do my best. It was titled "The Fed's Trilemma." There were four sections to it. Really, the last two were were related. Um, we had an update on the disinflationary process. <clears throat> we then went on to discuss the Fed's trilemma, the title of the report, which was now that the war on inflation is winding down, how's the Fed going to balance their financial stability and employment mandates, um, given that we don't think that they're going to be able to be singularly focused on inflation any longer. We do think they're done hiking rates. Um, we then went back and <clears throat> looked at the savings and loan crisis to provide some background on what's going on with smaller regional and community banks in the current environment. And then the final sections, uh, the first one was titled Rate and Curve Suppression. It was an update on where we think the treasury market is and um, the opportunities are really lacked thereof in that market. And we went through a valuation exercise, which we think will be helpful for people and then um, in the final section, we titled it Bad Breath, and it was our equity market, um, near-term equity market outlook. So on the disinflationary process, we titled that Gimme Shelter because in essence, um, there isn't very much inflation left outside of the what we've been calling a lag-impaired shelter measure. So there's been three stages to this disinflationary process. The first one was goods Core goods inflation falling from 12.4% in February of 22 down to 1% in February of 23. It was actually up 57 basis points in the month of April, month on month. And, and that annualized reading is two. We think that's a little bit of a um, harbinger of things to come. We do not expect zero goods inflation like we had in the O's or 10s. We think something more like two to two and a half is the most likely outcome on a go forward basis. But um, but that was the big driver of disinflation through the second half of last year. Uh, of course, services peaked in September of last year. The three month annualized rate peaked at 11.6%, the six month annualized rate at nine and a half. Those rates are down to three six and 3.7% respectively. <clears throat> the 12 month rate is still Elevated somewhat at four or five. I, we suppose that's what the Fed keeps talking about, though. Looks kind of silly to be talking about an annualized rate when the three and six month rates have come down as much as they have. Just for some perspective there and outlook, over the last uh, seven months since the peak, core services has averaged 0.27% per month. Um, over the next uh, four months or so, it's going to we'll be lapping comps of 0.49. So if we continue at this 0.27 pace, which seems likely, we'll be somewhere in the mid threes in um, September. And, and that's about where we think it's going to settle because of the fiscal impulse. That number was more like two and a half in the last two decades, but we think it's more likely to be something higher than that in the coming decade because of uh, fiscal policy um, primarily. <clears throat> and then Again, the title of the section was Give Me Shelter because of this rent impaired rent of shelter measure. Um, there, that was 
for seven months, the last seven months until um, March, that averaged 0.73% per month with a very low uh, standard deviation around that, only 0.1. In March, though, it slowed to 0.59 and in April, 0.45. The annualized rate peaked at 899, 8.99%, <clears throat> a full 16 months after the apartment list rental index peaked and 12 months after the Case-Shiller home price index uh, peaked. So that's our rent impaired measure of that. Um, April is down to 813 and it's just going to continue to slow through the balance of this year and even into the beginning of next year. So that'll keep inflation from rebounding. Although, again, this is a section or, or an area that we think is likely going to be higher than it was over the last 20 years because of some of the permanent damage that's been done in, in part by monetary policy. So if you remove rents from CPI, just to get a little bit of a trajectory outside of this lag impaired rent of shelter measure, it peaked at 7% in June of 2022. That's CPI, less rent of shelter. In both April and May, it was 2.2%. This is, the Fed should just declare victory and go on. Um, and um, although the, you know, core and headline numbers still remain around 5%, and that's, um, affecting monetary policy and the public and consumer confidence. The next two months, we're going to lap a 0.9% for all item CPI in May and a 1.2 in June. And that should push the overall headline numbers down closer to three and a half percent or so. That'll take a lot of pressure off the Fed, should uh, help consumer confidence a little bit as well. So, we have in it on this, just in my last comments, about where our long-term outlook is. We're, we said all, all along, in fact, that was the title of our outlook note, that the path from nine to four was very clear. Um, it's actually proceeded a little better than we thought, so path from nine to three and a half. But um, as we move into the 2020s, we could see shelter settling in at something more like four instead of the 3% or so it averaged in the last 20 years, which, by the way, 3% was too high. And that was largely a consequence of the Fed pushing too hard from underneath in our view. Core services we think could settle in at something like three and a half instead of two and a half because of a bigger fiscal policy impulse. And goods inflation more like two and a half as opposed to zero because the disinfl or the the globalization shock is over. That would make trend more like three, four, which brings us to the Fed's trilemma. Um, how are they going to, or how responsive are they going to be to um, deterioration in financial stability and deterioration in the labor market as uh, things proceed over the next three or so, six months. Um, last week, we obviously saw the senior loan officer survey, which showed fairly significant tightening of credit standards above and beyond <clears throat> what we received the, the previous three months. And remember that those surveys were due on April 7th. So we're actually looking at somewhat stale data we think there could be another trillion dollars or so of deposit flight, at least $500 billion when we get a debt ceiling deal and um, the um, uh, Treasury ramps up issuance, which will come almost primarily out of the banking system. We went back and looked through uh, the history of deposit growth. It's very rare for deposit growth to turn negative over the last 50 years or so. Bank credit 
troughed at negative four and a quarter percent during the global financial crisis, we could have something greater than that this go around. And although the starting point was higher, you know, we provided some background to give you perspective there. Um, we're about on long-term trend line for deposit growth, but uh, moving much below the trend line and having a negative credit impulse could be a, a big problem for the markets. <clears throat> and then um, we we started to talk a little bit about the, ter- the deterioration in the labor market. We obviously had a big spike in claims last week. Next week's number is, or the one we'll get this Thursday, is very crucial. It is the survey week, meaning the week that the payroll establishment survey goes out. Um, a number around 260 would be a significant increase from prior months and would indicate um, fairly significant deterioration in the labor market. We also noted that job openings have been coming down sharply in the smallest businesses, those with one to 49 employees. And that's um, disconcerting as well, because we do think credit tightening will hit small business harder than large businesses. So this is the Fed's trilemma. How are they going to balance the financial stability and employment mandates um, if inflation doesn't go to two, as we do not believe it is likely to do so? So we then wrote about um, that savings and loan crisis, sort of a fascinating story. We'd urge you to read what we wrote about this. We're not going to provide too many extra details in this call. But, you know, in in 1980, there were 4,000 thrifts. They had 600 billion of assets, 480 billion of which were mortgages. They were 50 percent of the overall mortgage market. It wasn't as dominated by Fannie and Freddie uh, and securitized products as it was in those days. So those banks eventually were disintermediated by the mortgage-backed securities market on the asset side. They were being disintermediated on the deposit side by money market mutual funds. There were rate caps in place in those times. Reg Q meant you couldn't pay any interest on checking accounts. We had a massive curve inversion. When it re-steepened, the bill rate fell from 15-2 in 1980 at the beginning of Volcker's uh, aggressive hike cycle to 792 or so treasury or 10 year treasuries traded uh, or stayed in the 12% range. But even with the curve uh, disinverting, the savings and loans couldn't really take advantage of it because they couldn't compete with a 7.92 uh, bill rate, whereas money market mutual funds were disintermediating, it, disintermediating them. So it has a sort of a fascinating uh, resonance with the current situation. You then had a lot of regulatory changes, attempts to um, extend and pretend and expand their mandates and try and keep them in business. All it really did was uh, make the crash that came later on all that much worse. You expanded deposit insurance. There was an arms race with brokered CDs. And um, so it uh, it just obviously ended pretty badly. But uh, we urge you to what wrote uh, read what we wrote there and go back and look at some of the um, papers that we referenced with respect to that. So um, three things to wrap up with. One is um, we walked we walked through our valuation arguments on the Treasury uh, on the Treasury market. We go back to that Kansas City Fed paper that um, uh, concluded that 10 year nominal treasuries were trading at 160 basis points lower yield than they would be in absence of the Fed's massive balance sheet, um, and then started to work through the components of that. Real rates were either side of 2% prior to the Fed's QE 
era, if you will, after the global financial crisis, they're now about 120 basis points. The Richmond Fed natural rate model has moved up to nearly 2%. So if we assume the real right price, if you will, there's no right price, so whatever the market is, but the price where real 10-year treasuries, 10-year tip, tips would trade in the absence of the Fed's balance sheet, that probably is around 2%. So it's up about 80 basis points. If you then triangulate to where inflation break-evens would be, they would likely be 80 basis points higher. That makes a lot of sense to us with 10-year um, break-evens at, at uh, 221 as I'm recording this. If you add 80 basis points to that, you get 3%. 3% sounds about right given uh, anecdotal evidence of what clients, where clients think inflation is going to settle, where our forecast is that inflation is going to settle, underlying trend inflation, and um, for that matter, the surveys of the public like the UMISH survey, um, longer term inflation expectations are closer to 3%. So that all makes sense to us. But when we look at that and where rates fall is, we just don't see very much to do in the rates market right now. The Treasury or the Fed's portfolio is suppressing the level of rates. We do think they'll go higher over time as the Fed unwinds their balance sheet, but <clears throat> they're doing that so passively that it's it's very hard to, to be short and trade against that. We do think um, uh, things are likely to uh, get a little weaker on an economic front. And um, when the Treasury picks up issuance, that'll be pushing rates up at the same time that the economy gets worse, pushing rates down. So a bit of an offset and vols uh, kind of in the middle of the, the recent range as well. So we just don't see a heck of a lot to do in the treasury market right here. The equity market, on the other hand, uh, the equal weighted S&P has been grinding lower towards its December low. The S&P 500 has not because of big uh, mega cap tech stocks. But um, when when the Treasury picks, uh, you know, picks up issuance after a debt ceiling deal, we think there's a pretty good chance the S&P will trade to 3850. That will also so that will probably be led by those big cap tech stocks and financials. Financials are excep exceptionally cheap here, but likely to get even cheaper. And that we think will be the trigger for a Fed full Fed pivot. That doesn't mean they're going to cut right away, but we're going to eliminate all these, these hawkish speeches and make it clear that the next Fed move will likely be a cut. We expect that to come in, in September. So that'll be the catalyst for equity markets bottoming out and um, having not as bad a breath. Um, so finally on the debt ceiling deal, it's progressing pretty much as we expected. <clears throat> the Republicans um, gained uh, a lot of momentum last week when the CBO came out with um, an update to tax receipts, which are some 150 billion below where they were expected to be. And um, it's pretty obvious that um, the government needs to cut back on spending. And it looks like we're headed towards that path. There's still a fairly high probability we'll get a short-term deal that kicks this to the end of the year. But one way or another, we're think we think we're headed towards a slower rate of government spending, which is good for the long-term inflation outlook. And um, probably, um, or perhaps maybe even some stuff on uh, on permitting, though that's probably going to take a little bit longer to get that done. The COVID, the unspent COVID funds will probably um, go back to the public one way or another as well. So um, that's it for me this week. Again, this was a really dense note. If you're not um, already a full subscriber, we'd love you to consider becoming one.
Barry Knapp, Ironside's Macro. Thanks. Have a good week.